Broadcasting from Ireland, featuring interviews with some of the biggest names in magic, welcome to the Deceive Reality Podcast with your hosts, David Peace and Steve Spade. Uh, we're back. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Save Reality Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. My name is David Peace, and we're here with Steve. Steve, how are you doing? Good, guys. How are you? Thanks, Anton. Thanks. And that's our special guest that Steve just introduced. Anton, Anton how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, hello, Ireland and all the magicians that are listening right now. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So we like to start right at the beginning. Could you please tell us how you got into like this magical mystery crazy world that we're all in it is a very interesting world isn't it um well it's really it's to go back to the beginning is really the beginning of my life uh there's not a time in my life that i don't remember magic being a part of it and in fact the very first memories that i have is of my father and i sitting on the couch in the house that i grew up in with him reading me the mickey mouse book of magic and we would go and I remember him reading, you know, the, there was funny little anecdotes in there, but we would read about one of the tricks and then we would work on that trick together. Sometimes there was an arts and crafts element where we had to build something together. Uh, but that was really, you know, kind of my introduction to magic was, was through my father. And, you know, it's, we actually have a back, the background of my family is we have a third generation family moving business. But growing up, my father always seemed to have this interest in magic and I never really thought much about it. Uh, and I'll explain more about that later and how that ties in with his life. But uh, he always encouraged it. He always, you know, would buy me tricks for birthdays and holidays. And I was so fascinated by it. And I had other very interesting people in my life. My, my grandmother, uh, who's a very uh, one of a kind lady, she's a bit of a pistol, you might say. Uh, she was a card player. And so she really was the one who taught me my way around a deck of cards. Uh, you know, we would play games like poker, blackjack, a game called Spite and Malice that I don't know if either have either of you two ever heard of Spite and Malice? No, no I haven't heard of it. Yeah, no, I've never met another person that knows about this game, but we would spend hours and hours and hours playing these games at our house. And so I learned how to shuffle. I learned how to handle a deck of cards, get familiar with the suits, the values, and things like probability and tells and bluffing and all those sorts of things uh, came from my grandmother. And she actually taught me the very first card trick that I ever did on a regular basis for people. And so she was always very proud to say, you know, I taught him how to shuffle when he was a little kid. So, uh, And then I had a cousin. We would, in the summertime, the family would get together and she would always bring something cool. Like I think uh, we called them devil sticks. They're like the two batons and the the other rod and you'd kind of juggle them. And then, uh, you know, one of the tops that are on the strings that you'd, you know, flip into the air. Uh, and she would also juggle and she would bring three tennis balls and juggle them. And I became like very fixated on that. And I remember uh, being obsessed with having to learn how to do what she was doing. So I went back to my house that night and I got, you know, three balls and I stood over my bed. And this is a pro tip. If, if you're somebody trying to learn how to juggle, I was able to do it in one night. I was able to kind of sort of get it down. But if you do it standing with a bed in front of you, one, it reduces the amount of times you have to bend over and pick things up, uh, which saves a little strain because you're going to drop a lot. Uh, and then also it prevents you from moving forward because there's a bed right there. So uh, which, that's one of the first habits you have to break as a juggler is not you know, walking forward as you throw because that's our natural inclination is to kind of toss forward. Uh, so anyway, so by the time I was like 13 years old, I had assembled this like uh, grab bag of variety tricks. I was just kind of trying to learn anything cool. 
I was obsessed with the Guinness World Book of Records. I would watch the show. I would read the books. And I was just trying to pick up any sort of cool skill or stunt uh, that I could, you know, learn because I was fascinated and entertain people with. And so my first gig, I was 13 years old. It was a local fair and I was essentially a jester. I wore like a three-pointed hat with a bell and I went around juggling and doing magic tricks for people that were waiting in lines for the attractions there at the fair. And it was a long day. It was like out in the sun. It's probably, you know, eight hour shift or something, whatever the duration of the fair was. And I think I made 50 bucks. And I was oh, like, that's, I, you're I know, rich. <laughs> for 13, I was rich. It was like, you know, it was great. So uh, I think once I saw the potential of that, when I saw how that worked, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to make a run at this. And I never looked back after that point. I just made a commitment from that time on in my life that I was going to be an entertainer in some form or another. So, yeah, so that brings, yeah, that brings a, yeah, that's a, essentially how I got to my first gig. Yeah. Yeah. And just if anybody's watching this on YouTube, you might notice that Steve's muted from time to time. Uh, there seems to be some audio feedback coming through that mic because I muted everybody. So it seems to be coming through Steve. So uh, I might I, 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 mute it from time to time, but I let you speak when. Uh, when, when, when you have my permission, you may speak. David <laughs> well, has the power, guys. My goodness. It's gone a bit power mad, you know. It's a You've bit power mad with your massive fucking headphones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm directing something now. Yeah, I, I switch. I switch. I switch headsets now, so it's it's gone mad. Which yeah, it, it's really interesting the juggling because I've tried learning juggling myself a few times and I can't juggle. So it's just it's one of those things to, to really practice. Was it like anything particular about like the mentalism side that really got you to like go that side of the performing and things? And what was it about mentalism that really made you love it? Yeah, so it was interesting. So like I said, I was trying to learn all these different variety skills. And one factor of it certainly was the fact growing up in Salem, Massachusetts, which is no, you know, fortune telling is a chief export and product of the city. So I was surrounded by that idea of being able to either predict the future or read someone's mind or something like that. So I developed magic that went along those lines uh, as time went on. And I was also, you know, I, I, at one point while I was in college, I had learned how to swallow swords. I was a sword swallower for about three or four years there. And I did that because it was something that was impossible, like we want magic to be, but it was completely real at the same time. And I think my interest in mentalism falls along a similar thread in the sense that you can present mentalism with a thread of truth running through it uh, that makes it a very compelling illusion for an audience. So... Uh, yeah, so that was, I would say, part of what drew me to that was just this idea that you could create an illusion so good, people wouldn't be sure if what they saw was real or not. So uh, so I've always had a heavy, you know, I've always done, you know, the classics of magic, um, you know, because when people want a magician, oftentimes they have a specific idea of what a magician does, you know, for a corporate booking or something like that. But uh, mentalism has always been, you know, one of my main passions because of, you know, the reality of it, how real it feels to people when they experience it. Absolutely. And me and Steve were talking recently, like, we've both been to Salem. And it's like, so it's an amazing place. Steve, you, you were talking about being there recently. What, what was it like a few oh, years back when you were there? Yeah, years ago now. But um, I, I lived in Boston for, for about six months, uh, five, five months. And uh, I went to Salem anytime I could, and really, I, I tried to get out there as much as I could. I went out in the boat and out in the train uh, just for both the experiences. But it's such a cool place. It's such a nice city, and it, it's it's close to the to the you know the main big city. But it's it's such a 
it's such a little kind of village within itself kind of thing. It's it's very cool. Um, and obviously the the different attractions there, all the different museums. I, I loved it. I, I thought the whole thing had a, a full essence of magic the, all the time when you're there. Yeah, I loved it. I bought so much stuff when I was there. I was there in 2019, like the end of 2019. I was over over for a friend's wedding, and uh, me and my wife went to Salem afterwards. And yeah, there's a lot of psychics. <laughs> it's just like uh, every I, was, door. I was doing every, a show. Every... Every other door is a psychic for the most part. Yeah, I was doing a show uh, like a couple of weeks after I got back on Am I Psychic? So I took a, there was a, a psychic convention on when I was there. So I just took a photo outside as if I was there for rehearsals, which really helps. But do you find any sort of thing when you're working like doing mentalism there to try and like draw the line between the psychic and, psychic and readers that are there and kind of the stuff that you're doing? Or do you just like to blur, blur the lines? Well, I, you know, I'm an entertainer and people know when they come to see me that what I'm doing is, is for entertainment's sake uh, and that I'm a magician and that my job is to create a compelling illusion for them while they're there. So that, that's understood from the get-go. I don't want anyone to, you know, walk away with a false impression of what I'm doing, but I do want them to question, be right on that edge where they're questioning if what they experienced was the real deal or not. Um, and I guess another way to put it is, you know, what they see is a real experience. When they come to a show, they were there, they saw someone's mind get read or whatever it happened to be. And so for them, that's as, as real of an experience as, as you can have in that moment. And so that's that's another game that I like to play is to, you know, make it as, as real as possible in that regard. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like you were saying, it, it does have a sort of a town vibe to it. It is considered a city. Uh, but you can, you know, take a ferry and be in Boston in 30 minutes. Like you were saying, Steve, you can take the train, be in Boston in 30 minutes, which is beautiful. Um, but the history of the place is amazing. And it's really, we obviously, the witch trials is a primary focus of why people go. Uh, we are the unofficial Halloween capital of the world, which is, you know, has been a thing really since the 80s. Uh, the city has started to embrace it. You know, we kind of feel like it's been there that way forever. But uh, the Halloween aspect really started to creep in in the 80s. Uh, but, you know, we had a, amazing things happen there. It was, you know, the capital of Massachusetts or essentially the capital of Massachusetts because of the commerce coming in from ships and the spice trade uh, overseas. Um, we had the invention of the telephone uh, happen in Salem, Massachusetts. Just lots of really important parts of the history of the country here. And so it's a special, it's a very special place uh, with that, in that regard. So I'm very yeah. proud and, and fortunate to be from here. Not, not just witches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's more to it than that. Uh, but, you know, and obviously that is a, a big, you said it's everything about Salem has a touch of magic to it, right? And so I think when people come to the city of Salem, they're looking for a magical experience. Like they want the history, they want the, uh, you know, the fun tourism things that we have there. Uh, but they're really in search of having a truly magical experience. And so uh, in regards to what I do, that's what my goal is to provide that kind of experience for people uh, when they come. So, uh, yeah, but it, it's a one of a kind place. Certainly no other place like it that I've ever been to. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that me and Steve both love that is one thing that really put you on our radar was the MSP deck. 
So that's like a, a deck that we've both used multiple times, Steve. It's something that people might recognize on is social media recently. Uh, if you look closely, you might see an MSP deck in the background. That was like one of the first photo decks that I remember seeing or image decks. And there's like plenty of them. That was one of the first ones that I saw anywhere I picked up. Where did the idea of that come? And can you talk about like the evolution of that deck? Yeah, so I think, you know, there's been a long-standing debate of do playing cards work in the world of mentalism, right? And I am a believer that they do. I have no shame in using uh, playing cards for a poker demonstration or uh, just a very direct mind-reading type trick. Uh, but the MSP was kind of an opportunity to meld those two worlds together. I was attempting to, uh, you know, take some original artwork and make it so you could use it for mentalism, but also build the deck in such a way where it would have some features that might appeal to a magician, making one image magically change to another. So I wanted it to be something that you could kind of blur the lines between those two disciplines. And so that that was it. And, um, you know, actually the person, the illustrator, uh, if you look at the bottom of the box, you'll see his name, Robert Vandenberg. Um, he, that was my, that's my tattooist, uh, one of my very good friends. And so, uh, you know, I've somebody I've spent a tremendous amount of time with, uh, passing artwork with back and forth. And so it just, you know, I was, I just finished doing the unshuffled deck, uh, and I was looking for, you know, just another thing now that I had gotten all that great knowledge about how to produce a deck of cards, which, uh, is a, is a challenge for sure. But, uh, after I gained all that knowledge, I wanted to move on to create something else. And, uh, I was heavily into performing strictly mentalism at the time. So I was looking for, yeah, something that would kind of uh, bring that out. So, but I'm thrilled to hear that you guys use it. It's always, I love any time where I see, you know, like I saw on Steve, he, he was at a, a fancy party doing close-up magic, uh, for some very, uh, high-end looking people. And I could see on the table that there was the MSP deck in the shot. I was like, that's it right there. <laughs> I, I do every, you know, with the Magic Estate, which is where we created the MSP, you know, pack where that came from. That was a collaborative effort between uh, myself, my good friend, Jeff Kaler, and my other very good friend, Jesse Feinberg. We kind of went on an adventure where uh, we had an opportunity to go to Florida uh, to work with um, a group of people, but in particular, Michael Amar. And so that was kind of like a once in a lifetime thing. Like, you don't, you know, if Michael wants to work with you, you don't say no to that. So uh, we threw yeah. every, we threw our lives possessions in two different cars and we drove down, we got a timeshare for like a week or two. We had no idea what we were going to do on the back end of it. And uh, we ended up finding a, this big stately house that was on like a seven acre piece of land. And it was really a unique magical place. It was an older place, but it had this sort of charm to it. And so that was where, all of that sort of began. It was a collaborative effort between us. And Florida is a very uniquely positioned spot here because every major magician, more or less, will come through Florida at some point or another, whether it's for a family vacation or because they're trying to get on a cruise ship, uh, you know, because we have the port there where people get on and off the cruise ships all the time, or they're doing work at one of the major theme parks or something. So that gave us an opportunity to uh, meet and interact with some of the greatest magicians on, in the world, basically. So we saw the, the Magic Estate as, a, as an opportunity to collaborate and work with some of these incredible people that we were you know, fortunate enough to meet. Uh, and it was really an exciting time. You know, some of the, I actually have uh, everything. I have all the Magic Estate stuff right here in front of me on the table. I'll show you some of my favorite things. 
Um, but yeah, it was just such a, a unique chance to do that. Uh, and, you know, again, it was like, you know, myself and two of my friends, we were young at the time and we just didn't know what to expect from this adventure. And I think we thought we would only be there for a year or two, uh, but Jeff and I ended up staying for about 10 years. Uh, so right. just making magic in that spot. So. Yeah. When we had, um, we were lucky at the very, very start of the podcast, we had Michael Lamar uh, on and it was the same thing. We it was a pinch ourselves moment when we when we got him and when he when we had him on, I had to get him to cast a shadow because I was like, "There's no there's no magic unless Michael Lamar cast a shadow." So it was cool to have him on. That that is uh, yeah one of his signature moves. And I will tell you, meeting him for the first time, there's not a great way for me to explain it other than it was like being in a room with like Mister Rogers, like somebody who you saw on TV like every day when you were a kid. And now there he was, like, right in front of you. And he is such a – everything about him is so distinct, his voice and everything. It was a very, like, surreal experience. Um, but we, you know, where I was very fortunate to become friends with him and collaborate with him for many years in, in different ways. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a legend. He's one of a kind. And, yeah, I think, you know, he, it, it's great that you got to have him on the show just because he is really just uh, a one-of-a-kind guy, Michael. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah, it's like meeting. So he's like a god of magic, really. It's like the way I can think of it. When he travels overseas, uh, some of the posters actually say like "American God of Magic" or something like that. I've seen, like, in a, you know, it might be a translation thing, but uh, yeah, yeah, he is he is as good as it gets. And I owe Michael a huge debt in the sense that, um, like I said, I had studied all these different disciplines, and at some point, I remember Michael saying to me, "He goes, uh, but you are." A magician first and foremost that's what you are and he nurtured that side of me during all of that time and so it became more and more of a focus for me for how i could be the best magician i could be uh at any you know given experience when i was interacting with people i really started to focus on like what makes a great magic experience and when you start to like shave away all the things that a magic experience isn't like it's not comedy uh, it's not theater necessarily, but it's it's this very specific type of experience that we're able to deliver. And when you really dial in on that, I started noticing that my reactions were getting way better from everything I was doing uh, because it was really just focusing at what the, the core of being a magician is, which is that opportunity to astonish the audience. Um, so, uh, so again, Michael, if you're watching, thank you, thank you. Oh yeah, he watches every week. He's there. <laughs> he's here. He's here every week as they see him. He's like always commenting. I think he's our number one fan. It has to be. It has to be. I think he's our one viewer. That's it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Michael, that's it. Yeah. But, but yeah, when you were working on stuff, I think it's like that interesting debate as you were saying with mentalism, with playing cards and should they be used? But also there's the whole thing of like, is mentalism magic and all that stuff? Well, I always find it strange because for me... Something happened? It, it, the whole thing froze for a few seconds. I don't Whoa. know what happened there. That was weird. It started yeah. playing the video again. <laughs> it's Michael Lamar. It's Michael Lamar. It's ghosts. It's the ghosts. It's the, the the witches of Salem don't want us talking, so they they jumped in to interrupt us uh, in, in the situation. You know, actually, I live in a. This is an old Victorian house that I live in, and uh, there is a, a spirit present in this house. So messing uh, with the Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Maybe who knows? Yeah, hitting the reset button or something. Yeah, um, but it's so a friendly spirit. So. What I was going to ask was about, do you consider like a mentalism like a subcategory of magic or do you see it as like a different entity altogether? Because I'd be more of like the subcategory of magic 
and I, you, you can use the stuff. How how would you feel about that? Oh, it's magic for me. It's it's yeah. all under the same discipline of attempting to astonish an audience. And so, yeah, I see it as being magic. And, you know, I don't think magic always has to be a trick. You know, I think that, you know, things like sword swallowing and what have you can be presented in a magical way. I think uh, natural phenomenon, uh, such as things like optical illusions and what have you, can be presented in a magical way uh, that makes them magic. Uh, and so, you know, like many things, it's it's not necessarily what you do, but it's how you're doing it. So I would certainly say, yeah, the same the same techniques in mentalism could be used uh, by a magician to create a magical experience. It could be used by a con artist uh, to scam somebody out of tens of thousands of dollars as a, uh, you know, maybe a fake. Wait, I, I, I can use this. To, I can use this to scam people out of tens of thousands of dollars. Why did nobody tell me? Yeah, this is ridiculous. I, I could be a fucking millionaire. But this yeah, I mean, right, exactly. But that's but to me, it's there. There are different tools you can use to accomplish that job of creating a magical experience. So, um, yeah. So I would say for me, it certainly is under the the umbrella of magic for me. Yeah, definitely. And we actually had a question about mentalism. Something said, did I think I'll pop it up now just to get it uh, to make sure we get it to the right topic. So Paul sent in is what is your mentalism everyday carry? So I know a lot for a lot of people, it's for magicians. You can do like have your rings or like a Things like Keymaster from Craig Petty, who we had on last last week. What what for you would be like your mentalism every day, Carrie? So, um, you know, uh, one of the core tenets of the Magic Estate was everything that we released was something we would actually use. You know, we didn't want to release that uh, fluff material. And let me see, I should have it here in this pile, actually. Um, boom, here it is, the ultimate networking tool. Hundred percent. Yep. So this, I think, I think this is simultaneously the most underrated thing we put out, and I think it is like the best thing we put out. And I'm kind of cool with it being underrated. Um, but this is the my everyday carry is, uh, you know, this specific peak wallet uh, from here, and I just love it. And I love the motivation of the backwards business card. I don't use it every time, but I do use it frequently. Um, the what. The brilliance of it is for anybody watching who's not familiar is we created this special business card called the backwards business card and the idea is that it has a space on it for a name a phone number an email address and then a large blank space at the bottom that you can have the person write in whatever piece of information you want to happen to peak now the thing that's great about this is you might be at an event and somebody says oh do you have a card you give them your business card and you ask for theirs and if they say i don't have one you can give them one of these and have them fill it out so you can get their name, phone number, and email so you can follow up with them. Because as we know, you always want to get their information and not just rely on them to contact you. And then after they've filled that out, you can say, you know, one last thing. I want you to do me a favor and write down the name of somebody close to you. Write down, you know, maybe the last thing you had for a meal. Write down the year you were born. Any sort of interesting piece of information can go in that final spot. And you're going to take the card back, put it in the wallet, and you're going to, you know, magically find out what that information is. Uh, but that being said, the beauty of it is the psychology that they know as soon as they start, like the moment you hand them that card and they start to fill it out, they know that they're going to give it back to you. So there's no heat, no pressure, no weird explanation of why you're having them write it down and then you got to take it from them. It's just all built into that premise. So there's no resistance on their part. They know they're going to have to give it to you. So one of the my favorite ways to use that is if you've done a gig 
and people will come up to you afterwards at the end of the gig and they'll ask for your information. It's great to do that if you have a group of people standing around you because it creates this feeling of like, oh my gosh, the show's over, but he's still going. He's like still reading people's minds like here right up close. Uh, so that that 100% is my mentalism everyday carry. I don't think it gets much stronger than a peak in the world of mentalism. Yeah. So So typically... Uh, if I feel like doing a mind reading thing, it will be the the one and only thing that I'll do for somebody close up uh, oftentimes, you know, because you don't have like a lot of time with people. So I, uh, you know, that will be my main go to, I would say, as a mentalism piece. That like that ultimate networking tool is brilliant. Me. I was only talking to Steve about this before we hit record that it's yeah. it's nine ninety nine on Penguin Magic at the moment. And it's like, I know it's Steve's go-to peak wallet. He's I'm bought the most expensive peak wallet in the world. But it's like, yeah, like if it's nine ninety nine, I bought Orphic wallet recently. So like, I, I think that looks cool as well. But like, you could also buy six <laughs> ultimate networking tools and have backups for so many different things. And uh, I think it's a great one for those cards because you can have them with you and have your normal magic wallet that might have a character wallet or another thing. It doesn't have to be your everyday. It's not like your everyday wallet. It's specifically for this thing, which is such a genius way of, and it makes sense that because it's full of these cards that you're getting people's information from. And again, it's not only is it a trick, it gets you more gigs, which is like, that's the thing we, we need more than anything. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that was said to me, uh, every gig you're at, you always should be getting the next gig. You know, you should do a yeah. good job that people are really impressed and then make sure to find the people who are most interested and connect with those people so you can get, uh, you know, the next next gig out of it. So yeah. turn one gig into two and you'll... You, you'll have too much work <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, if you can do that every goal. time you're, you're winning so um yeah so but yeah that's one of my all again one of my favorite things we ever did uh i use it still to this day uh and certainly i think one of the most underrated things uh that we ever did so uh, but i'm no, glad you guys are fans uh thank you for for using I, it i bought one and i got it and then i remember meshing dave then dave bought one and then the next time i was ordering i bought five of them just to have them because it was like yeah. It's it's such a it's and even even the 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 back the backward business card. Um, I was doing a show. It was at a golf club, and I did the gag where I've got your business card kind of thing. And yep. the guy was the guy who I did it for just wanted a plain one just so he could do it for his buddies. He just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So I, later on, I saw him in the bar going, "I've got your business card," and I was like, "That's that's what it's all about, you know." And um, I just gave him one, and let him let him do it to everyone. His <laughs> friends now hate Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I actually, I've given them to people for the same reason, because um, people are like, oh, I've got to do that on somebody. And I know somebody who actually uh, saw me at an event, I gave them one, and maybe they saw me at another event two months later, and they had used it and won $100 from somebody. <laughs> and he was like, and I was like, and he gave you the money, really? And the guy's like, yeah, he just thought it was so good that he, he you know, I got him, he had to pay up, so... Uh, yeah, so it's. I'm, I'm glad you guys really like that. Yeah, it's a favorite yeah. one. For Irish magicians watching as well, it's not only is it $9.99, which is less than Euro, it also has free shipping to Ireland from Penguin because it can be packed flat as well, which is just like, what more do you want? Do you want to do a, a, you need a peak wallet or do you just want to have something a bit extra, $9.99, as Steve said, buy five, I think is the, uh, the advice. Buy five, buy five now. Buy ten, screw it. <laughs> 
But I'm the same that. way. If I find something and I like it, I'll buy multiples of it so I can keep them in uh, different, you know, locations, you know, different prop kits that I have and what have you. And just as backups, because, you know, if you're out there working, you're going to, you know, these things are going to deteriorate over time. Yeah. Uh, and so you got to have that backup. That was actually one of the reasons why with MSP, I, I intentionally didn't use paper. I used plastic for those cards because, you know, you're, if you have people handling them, if they get wet, if, you know, I just wanted to create something that people, once they invested in it, they would be able to use it as long as possible. Great for um, COVID too, because you could just, you could wipe them down and they don't get damaged. And even more stuff is coming out, like uh, Luca Volpe came out with loads of plastic props. Uh, the Eclipse cards from 1914 are plastic as well. It's like, it's really like ahead of your time with that, that whole mind thinking, because just being able to wipe your props down at the end of a gig is brilliant. And also we all work in places where people have drinks and they're setting them down and there's condensation everywhere. The tablecloth yeah. is damp, nearly see-through by the time you get to the table. Your cards are wrecked. And like, if you're spending 30 quid on an ESP deck or a gallery deck type thing, they are going to get destroyed. And uh, that's why I think the, just having the plastic and the MSP is absolutely brilliant. And even with the, uh, like any peak wallet, you always find if you're using Sharpie and you don't wait long enough, you put it into the wallet and then later on you see a little bit of Sharpie is bled through onto your peak and you're like, oh no, it's, it might block stuff. But it's like, it's 9.99, half <laughs> seven, it's finer. You have enough time to clean it and then it'll be fine again. You can also just get an exacto knife and cut out that window as well, and you'll never have that problem again. Which is a, and it, it'll still, it'll still work perfectly. It won't fall out or anything. Yeah, so. absolutely. Great tip as well, because I think it's a good thing to have. Like when it's uh, a, such a great peak as well, that's so deceptive for people. It's a great thing to just have in your car, as you say. Like you can have it just around the place. You leave that in your car. You're never caught out where someone's like, "Oh, do something." You just have one there. You can have one in your bag, your work bag, school bag, gig bag that, or that you carry around. Have one also on stage because I always found uh, I use one of my one of my versions of that on stage for if something messes up and I need an out get something to write down, I can peek it for something like that. And I think it's a perfect, because it's so small and things, it looks, it's it takes up no space. I think it's just brilliant. I really like it. I might buy another one when this is over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you can never have too many backups, right? Especially if it's, my, my worst fear is that I put something into my repertoire and then like for some reason I have to stop performing it because something becomes unavailable or something. I become so attached to the tricks that I develop and that I'm performing for people, uh, that that's always my the worst thing is when like you hit a roadblock and for some reason oh. it's not doable anymore. Uh, for some reason, I, 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 I've had tricks as well that like rip or or like the cards get the the gimmick get destroyed and it's just out of stock everywhere and you're looking everywhere for it. And like why didn't I buy two? I know I do this all the time. I knew it was going to get destroyed. It's in my suit constantly. Yeah, and I think that's part of the motivation with MSP again was like I'm imagining you know experiences I've had buying Magic and that I didn't want to like develop this deck that I would buy. And then if I like took it to a gig and a little water got on one of the cards and now the whole thing was useless suddenly because of that. And so that's, you know, why, you know, I chose to go the plastic route, even though, you know, plastic has some limitations over, you know, traditional cardstock, but it, the longevity of it can't be beat. So, uh, and I figured the way most people would end up using it, they would be happier having it last longer uh, than being able to, you know, do the next fancy flourish or something like that. Yeah. It, if, so. if, if you're using your MSP deck with a, a Dan and Dave DVD, you're probably not using it correctly, I think. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Right, right. Also, just, just buy two of them just to have them because if they were, <laughs> yeah. two, 
uh, there's a routine that I've done where it's like a matching routine, the two decks, mm. and it, it kills. Um, yeah. So go to. The Steve Reality Podcast, sponsored by the Magic State. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, and like, so the Magic Estate, I guess, like to put a cap on like that chapter in my life, right? Um, I was making a decision to move away from Florida. Jeff was moving to California. And so we had done all this great work. We had worked with these guys like Terry Ward, Giovanni Lavera, um, Cody Fisher. We did some awesome stuff with. So we had the opportunity to learn all that. And then um, those products are obviously all still available. Um, but we made a decision that uh, we were going to, I was, I had a direction that I wanted to go into, which was, again, the estate was all about this idea of working with these legends that we were fortunate enough to meet. And now I've started this new thing called the official circle. And I haven't gotten deep into it yet, but what the plan is, is for me, that's going to be the place where I'm going to reveal like my real work, the stuff that I'm doing like every, every day. So one of the, one of the things that happened to me was three years ago, I became the official magician for the city of Salem, Massachusetts. And which is obviously, it's a very unique title. They've never had an official magician before. Uh, and I was recognized at the state house in Massachusetts and um, at the sit Salem city council. And so that, that for me is a huge badge of honor, not, not necessarily, a, it's a huge badge of honor because I was born there and sit, yeah. you know, Salem's my home, but also in regards to being a magician, like there, I felt a certain responsibility to that in the idea that I, you know, to be the official magician of a city and not live up to that became like a bit of a weight that I had to like really contemplate almost every time that I left the house. Uh, because I didn't want to be caught in a situation where I wasn't prepared to be what people might imagine uh, the official magician of a city being. So, um, so uh, with that Salem, yeah, especially Salem, a city known for magic. So I really, you know, continuing on that path that Amar had sent me on uh, of being trying to be the best magician that I can. Uh, the past three years have have put that into overdrive, where like I've looked at every situation that I could possibly be in and working out ways to make the most of all of those situations and leave people with a story where they can say, wow, I met the official magician of the city today and he did this thing and it blew my mind or whatever that story is. You know, every time you meet somebody as a magician, you're, you're creating this opportunity for that person to have a story that they might remember for the rest of their lives. So the next phase of what I'm looking to do with the official circle will revolve around all those techniques and ideas that I've developed over the past three years uh, being the city's official magician. So, uh, and the, the reason behind this is because I believe that all uh, we need, the world needs more great magicians. I mean, when you look at what's going on, like on the internet with like exposure videos and stuff like that, oh my gosh, it makes the hair stand up on the back. Uh, Steve rants now. <laughs> I'm not going to rant. I'm going to let that done. I'm going to let that rant. But it is the, it is the worst. And, and the reason why is magic, in my opinion, is the most delicate art form that exists. Okay. A painter can paint a painting. A songwriter can sing a song. But with magic, if someone goes, well, he just has a second one in his hand right there. The whole illusion, all that great magic and all that incredible feeling that the audience could experience could be ruined right there. That's how delicate of an art form it is. So I truly believe that like maintaining the secrecy of magic uh, and keeping it out of the public eye is important because not for any selfish reasons other than the fact that I think it robs an audience of the opportunity to have that uh, feeling of being amazed. 
And so, yeah, so that's, you know, that, that at the core of it, I, I truly feel that the world needs more great magicians, people who take magic uh, as a mystery art form and the opportunity to create astonishment and not just like a cheap trick that gives you, you know, a couple views or something. I like think that. as well on like TikTok, the biggest problem is that it's not like an Instagram where you have to search it out because the timeline on TikTok is so random that like my wife likes magic, but she doesn't like knowing the secret. She never wants to know the secret. She gets annoyed when I mess up practicing a trick and expose the secret in front of her. So and then she's going through TikTok and it's like the secret's being forced on her. She didn't want to know it, but now there's some guy exposing it in the middle of his video, which then is like, if someone wants to seek out the secret, that's one thing. But to have it just like being given to people who didn't even Google magic trick revealed, then it's just like, it's you're just destroying it. It's like, I, I wish other arts were like this, where it's like, you'd hear a really great singer and be like, you do know that's just her vocal cords, like vibrating, you know, or like, someone looks at the Mona Lisa and you're like, that's not really a person, that's just some oil, and like, everything just shatters around them, but magic is oh, yeah, unique. Oh, it's not that cool, and, oh, it's, just oil, it's just oil on canvas, well, who cares, you know? Let me show you how it. he did it. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> And so, and that, that just goes back to the idea that, you know, magic is this really special, really delicate art form that's been around for over 5,000 years. And you can destroy what could be a beautiful moment with a single sentence. And that, that crushes me about it. So, yeah, so I, I do believe that we need more great magicians in the world. And actually I came and I'll do it right now. I came with three things. If I had to share three tips with people that will make you a better magician, like starting today, what would those three things be if I had to, you know, make an offering? So 100%. this is for anybody who, let's say you already know some magic, you know some tricks, uh, you're maybe doing a gig here or there, or maybe you're doing a lot of gigs and you don't think about these things, but uh, we're going to assume you know what tricks you like to do and that sort of thing. Uh, so these are things that aren't dependent on that. So the first thing I would say is always be prepared. You heard me say this earlier, like every time I leave the house and I go out into Salem, I am prepared uh, to do magic if the opportunity arises. Um, I also think uh, on the same idea of being prepared, uh, the reason why I have to do that is because I don't know who I might bump into and who they might be with or something like that, where they go, oh, it's Anton. He's the official magician of Salem. And if I don't live up to it in that moment, I'm creating a bad story for the people that are there because they will go and tell other people that they met me. And the first question somebody will ask is, well, did he, did he do anything? Did he show you any magic? And they'll go, no, he didn't, you know. Not cool. So uh, that that's one thing is always be prepared. And I the second thing that goes along with that the uh, that first part is if you tell somebody you're a magician, I feel you have to show them magic, right? Now, granted, it's not always the best time, right time, right place. But what my general rule of thumb is, if I tell somebody that I'm a magician, I better be prepared to show them magic if they seem interested at all. And if I'm not sure, if I can't get a read on whether they're interested or not you create the opportunity by offering to show them something before you guys part ways, like towards the end of the conversation. And uh, that to me is really important. Again, it's about being prepared and it's about giving the person a great story. Uh, and you should be excited to do it. You know, this is something we love to do. So I know a lot of people feel put upon if a stranger asks them to do a magic trick, they feel like, oh, I'm like, I don't have to, I don't wanna have to do my job here. 
and I and I understand and I felt that way early on. But the more that I realized that the fact that we do this is a great gift and it's a gift to others, it, it's like wrapping a present and then not giving it to them. It's not fair to hold that piece back. So again, uh, if you are hesitant about being ready to do magic for people at any time, do it. Uh, my suggestion is a good place to start is just have a trick that you can carry in your wallet or your purse or wherever you like to carry your everyday carry stuff. Have that with you at all times, and that way you will always be ready to go. Make sure that it's something you're confident in doing, of course. But yeah, that's that's thing one. Be prepared. Thing two is pay attention to the words that you use. One of my greatest pet peeves, and you see it in mentalism all the time. How many times have you seen a mentalist give an audience member an opportunity to make a choice? And we'll say they spread out a deck of cards and they say, go ahead, pick anyone you want. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. You can pick anyone. doesn't matter. doesn't matter which one you pick. You just pick one. doesn't matter. You want to change your mind? doesn't matter. Drives me nuts. And the reason why is because what message are you sending to the audience if you're using the words, it doesn't matter? If you're acting like their choice is inconsequential to what you're doing, you're devaluing that person's participation. You might as well just be like grabbing something at random out of the deck if you're acting that way. So again, consider the words and how the words can make what you're doing more impressive. So for, again, to use that same remark, we'll spread a deck out on the table. We'll ask a spectator to hold their hand up, point a finger towards the ceiling, take a deep breath in, deep breath out. And when they feel the inclination to, I want them to bring that finger down and rest it upon one of the cards on the table, but only when they are ready to do so. And so that puts a lot more weight on that moment. It makes everything feel more deliberate, makes that person feel more involved. And it does create a sense of mystery as opposed to saying it doesn't matter. You're creating a sense of like, oh, do you think maybe he was guiding them to do something? Like you're creating like room for mystery by having procedural elements like that in what you do. So watch out for nonsense talk. And another place where our words matter is when you transition between tricks, it's very easy to go, uh, all right, now let me show you something else, you know, is something we've all said and done and is, is a common thing. So uh, what you want to do with your transitions is link what you just did to what you're about to do and to do it in such a way where it increases the impossibility of what you're about to show them. So a good way to do that is maybe in a walk around situation, I might do something flashy with sleight of hand just to get people's attention and prove to them I'm good. And, and then I might segue into mentalism, right? So I might say it's one thing for me to manipulate objects inches away from your eyes, but it's impossible for me to manipulate something that's happening here inside your mind. So that's what we're going to try next. So that's a way you could segue from a sleight of hand trick into a mentalism trick and do so in a way that the wording creates the impression that what you're about to do is more difficult. A similar sort of thing would be if you're doing a trick where, you know, somebody's holding a card between their hands or something in their fist. Uh, you might say, you know, if I stole something in and out of your pocket, uh, you might think that I was quick or clever like a pickpocket, but the human hand is actually the hardest place to steal something from. And so, you know, whether that's true or not is up for debate. But the point is, by, by using those words, you know, the human hand is the hardest place to steal something from. You are creating and cementing a more impossible memory in that person's mind than, oh, maybe he, like, just, you know, quickly put something in and took it out or, you know, whichever. You're, you're really helping sell the drama of that moment. And then the last thing I would say is, uh, you know, there's a lot of magic that falls into the category of being cute. And that works great for some people, does not work for me. Uh, I'm just, again, like I said, with the uh, ultimate networking tool, uh, we you only have so much time with people. So I really want to just go right to the good stuff, the stuff that's going to cause them to go, whoa, and shave away 
all the cute stuff. And, you know, comedy is fine. It can be a great tension reliever. But a good example I would use is I do sponge balls when I'm, you know, working for family audiences and stuff like that. I mean, how can you not love sponge balls, right? Uh, but, you know, all the stuff for me, at least, where you're like pulling it out behind their ear or sawing it in half or stuff, that's all stuff that when I do it, I find it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's cute. Like, it's kind of the, the reaction. I, I'm not getting the, whoa reaction. So I just go right to all the stuff that's going to happen in people's hands. I make the the audience member really the source of the magic for that routine, but it's really just three phases and it's all the stuff that is really good that happens in the person's hands and every phase people are like, "Oh my goodness, how is this happening?" And so the idea is if you have things that are C level or average moments, in what you do, average tricks or average jokes or average moments, it gives the audience an opportunity to kind of go, eh, I don't know if this is, is he good? I can't tell, it's kind of, this is okay. Whereas if you have an eye, if you have the ability to self edit and look at what you're doing and say, that joke's not landing right, can I improve it? And if you can't, if you've decided that like, that's as good as it's gonna be, don't use it as a crutch. Don't be afraid to get rid of it and just trim what you're doing down to only the best parts, especially nowadays because people's attention spans get shorter and shorter and shorter. So you, it's really just about getting to the best that you can do for people every single time you're in front of them. So that's that just killed Steve's entire act. <laughs> oh, brutal. <laughs> brutal. Uh, I couldn't help myself. Like, well, <laughs> You still have massive headphones on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, 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 I shouldn't them back as much as I could. Uh, Oh, you get a virtual background of the airplane cockpit, so you look yeah. like you're uh, ready to go. You know, I've got yeah. a green light over here that's just like shining mad as well, just to really add into it. <laughs> yeah, so those would, those would be three things I would say. If you're a magician, you're working on becoming a better magician. Pay attention to those things. Always be ready to go. Focus on your words. Really think about every word you're saying and how those words can add instead of detract from the magic you're doing. Uh, you know, especially with transitions and procedures, and that's really where you, you know, you need that stuff. Uh, and then be aware of any average uh, moments that you can get rid of and just focus on the best stuff that you do, like no filler, get that stuff out of what you're doing. And if you do that and you focus on being like a normal human being in the middle of all that, uh, you will do very well as a magician, in my opinion. So just three little That's such good advice. I think being prepared is like a real thing as well for people because like it, there's nothing worse than like, oh, you're a magician, show me something. I have nothing on me. I'm like, do a fucking five object equivocate or like buy an app or just like do ring magic. Just be ready to do, do this something. something. Yeah. Be able to do magic. You should be able to do like 20 minutes at a swimming pool. That's like my level. If you can do 20 minutes at a swimming pool, you're good. Even if it's just like psychological forces, give them a go. Try a five object equivocate, learn something with like straws, borrowed objects, phone, like anything you can think of. Just like look around your environments that you're in, learn magic with them. If you can't find anything, make something up. Well, that's why I learned Crazy Man's handcuffs from Amar, because I don't know if you remember, but on the video where he teaches it, it's actually, he's in a swimming pool and somebody's like, hey, Amar, can you show us a trick? And he's like, oh, sure. And then like everybody stops the barbecue, everybody jumps into the pool. It's like, they're like, Michael's going to do a trick and everybody jumps in. Uh, but I've actually done Crazy Man's handcuffs in a pool on the top of a mountain. Uh, it's just one of those, you just put a couple of those rubber bands around your wrist and you'll always be ready to do magic for somebody if the opportunity 
arises. But that that is one of the best, like anytime, any condition sort of things that you can learn as a magician, as far as a good uh, magic trick goes. But, yeah, definitely. There's some yeah. finger stuff you can do as well, or like some body magic or like things of pseudo-hypnotic body magic that is out there as well. Like there's so many good stuff that you can do with that sort of things. I remember I was at a, in Las Vegas at a swimming pool and people were like, oh, do some magic. So like I just looked around, there was some straws there. So I did like straws melting through straws, was able to do, I think I had a loop on, so I was able to do some stuff with like moving stuff with loops and things like that. Like there's, there's, no, there's no excuse not to have something you can do, even if it is down to body magic even like the bend bending your finger that's out there there's like pinky yeah. thing out or something it's like always have something you are magic i think is like the wording in that absolutely and you know uh one of my favorite salem stories which i'll just i'll throw in just uh because i i think the listeners might enjoy hearing it but it's it relates to this idea of like being giving people a story as a magician and like being ready I was Salem, uh, Eugene Berger came to Salem to do a magic show when I was about like 14 years old. I was young and it was really amazing. It shaped like my thoughts about magic. And the reason why is because we went out to dinner. One of the nights he was there was myself, another uh, a couple of magician friends of mine, Eugene, and maybe one other person. So very small group of people around a tabletop. And we were just there to have dinner. There were no expectations of anything. And Eugene had to have done at least 30 to 40 minutes of magic. I don't know what got him into that mode. The other thing, I guess one of the, the things distinctly I remember is he would go like this with his beard and he would just suddenly have a cigarette in his hand like that. And he did it maybe a dozen times. He just kept doing it and putting them off to the side, doing it and putting them off to the side. But it was like, at the end, you're like, where are those coming from the whole time? But, you know, one thing that stands out in my mind that he did specifically was he had a card selected and signed. He put the deck on top of a drinking glass and then he held his hand in the air like this. And like you could have heard a pin drop in that room and just. And then he slowly brought his hand down. Again, you could cut the tension with a knife. Touch the deck and then suddenly the corner, a torn corner of the sign selection fell into the glass with the rest of the deck just sitting there resting on top of this glass. And so sure enough, the signed card had the corner torn out of it. The corner piece totally matched. He did several other miracles. That one in particular, the drama of that moment has stuck with me the rest of my life. Um, and my friends and I, we still remember, like we talk about that night on a regular and we can remember everything that he did. He was a, he was a legend. And... It, the thing about Eugene, the lesson that I got out of him was I had that experience with him. That was like my street magic moment, I guess, where I had witnessed close up high impact magic that rocked my brain. Even though I was a magician, I knew magic. He did things I couldn't explain. And the drama of it was incredible. Right. And so what happened was throughout my career as a magician, Eugene would obviously be doing videos and other projects. And he kind of like, I don't know what the right word is. I wouldn't want to say make fun of, but like his mystique and his aura, like people kind of clowned on him a bit because he had this very dramatic presence about himself. And now that he's passed on, it's always the story with artists. People recognize him for the, the legend that he was more so now than ever. But I, every time I heard people kind of make fun of his overall demeanor, I knew that those were people that never had seen him do what he does in person. They had only seen it on video. And so there was a whole layer between the medium 
and the magician, right? So people watching him on video that weren't directly there, that didn't have the same emotional connection to the performance that would have been happening right in front of them, it changes everything. And that's why for me, although we can have magic TV specials and all these other great things uh, and you know, virtual magic shows, as well, I would actually say a virtual magic show, you still have a great connection to people. I, I was very fortunate to do a few hundred of them over the past year or so. Um, and I actually really enjoy doing them. I know they get a lot of bad press, but I think it's great. Uh, but anyway, the point is that nothing can top a magic experience that you have in person where you are directly involved in what's happening. Uh, so to anybody uh, that might be watching that may be you know, strictly a social media magician or anything like that, I will say you're missing out on one of the most beautiful parts of what we do. Uh, and th that's why you need to be prepared. And anytime you have the opportunity to perform for somebody, be excited to do so, uh, because you are, again, potentially creating a story that they're going to carry with them the rest of their life. And uh, there's no better way to experience magic than in real time in person. Definitely. So. I think that's the thing is that uh, w w when you mess, when, when you do magic, you could be the only magician this person ever sees. Yes. There's a no. lot of weight. There's a lot of weight in that. You know, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders because you, you are going to determine in that moment, are they going to like magic or are they going to tell people that magic is cool or, or whatever from that moment on? If you do a bad performance, you know, and, and there's, I remember when we had Joel Myers on and he was saying that what's holding magic back as an art is bad magicians. There's just too many bad magicians. And I don't think it's bad magicians in that sense. They probably did have a love for it at one stage, but now they're just stuck in this, they don't see themselves probably as an artist. They probably just see themselves as a occupationist, as a job. Yeah. Sure. And, you know, one of the, I think Vernon said, magicians stop thinking too soon. And so always I'm playing the game of like, how do I keep taking what I'm doing to the next level, next level? And it's easy when you have a routine that seems to work fine to kind of just let it coast as opposed to stepping back and saying, you know, how do I keep punching this up, making it better and better? How do I get rid of any of those C-level moments and put in more killer moments into a, a routine? Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the world needs more great magicians in it. So. And, and speaking of this, I think it's a perfect time to bring up the good, the bad, and the ugly, because we'll talk about how wonderful we are at performing. Uh, so the good, the bad, and the ugly is a segment on the show where we like to ask our guests to tell us maybe a war story, some sort of performance that might have started off with the best of intentions but slowly or rapidly went downhill do you have any story that jumps into mind when you hear that yeah sure so uh let me think back in the uh, you'll remember <laughs> that one here. time yeah uh yeah so i i do think my i i have been very fortunate that like i when it comes to things i do in front of a paid audience i work extremely hard to make sure that that stuff is bulletproof. And if it's not bulletproof at any given moment, I have an out. Uh, that's another thing I would say. If I'm ever doing something and the wrong card comes up or something like that, I have a way to turn that into a victory as opposed to a loss. Like, So know your material inside and out so you can know how to navigate to a, a, a victory. But before I was really set in that mindset and I was out there doing things, I was still trying my best to avoid mistakes. But I remember being on stage, a corporate event uh, in front of a lot of people. I just borrowed a bill from somebody, uh, made the bill disappear, and I was going to do the magician's insurance policy. And the magician's insurance policy was like the setup was maybe they would get their money back at the you know if I if I wasn't able to do this trick and the policy was going to help them cash in type thing. Well. 
the way I did this was I had a method uh, where not only did I know that I was, you know, obviously with the policy, the ending of the trick, the version I had was you opened it up and you showed like a five of hearts, opened it again, you showed a 10 of spades and you'd say, oh, is it, it's even bigger than the 10 of spades. And you'd open it up and it would be like the king of hearts or something like that on the final card. So not only did I have a way of knowing if they were, you know, I could make them choose the king of hearts, uh, but also I knew that that was the exact card that they had in their hand. Because one of my things is if I'm on stage, and I'm going to have somebody make a choice. I always want to know that proof positive 100% that they've got the thing that I want them to have uh, without me having to look or anything like that. So uh, as opposed to just trusting that everything has worked out okay. So I'm on stage. The person chooses the card. I'm looking at it. I know for a fact that they've got the one that I want them to have. I very confidently go into the insurance policy thing and I pop the insurance policy open to the last page and I hear zero reaction. And this thing's like in front of my face at this point. And I pull the thing down and I look at it and it was like the queen of spades or something like it was a completely wrong card. And uh, the reason why was because I had bought like the same way you bought five of the ultimate networking tool. I had bought like five of these insurance policies. I didn't realize they all had different outcomes uh, on the final card. So, so I knew I just must have grabbed or put a new one in the case or something like that. So I, I thought that I was I was so confident that everything was going according to plan. And I opened this thing. And it was totally wrong. And I'm looking at it. And there's just like the look on the audience faces was like, that is not how this was supposed to go. And thankfully, thankfully, the whole thing was about this person getting their money back, which was going to appear inside of a piece of fruit. And so I was like, well, I guess uh, the policy doesn't work. So you're going to get to cash in. Let's see if we can get your money back. And I just segued right into that. So, but that, that was probably my worst uh, fumble in front of an audience that, that I can think of uh, off the top of my uh, head. I'm I, trying to see if there was anything else, but thankfully it was a good lesson learned. Always double check everything. Even if you're, you know, a hundred percent positive, uh, you know, this was over 15 years ago, this happened, but yeah, you, you know, before you go to do any gig, always double check everything, walk through everything once, repack your bag, know that everything's exactly the way you need it to be. Because I would have saved myself all that headache had I just opened up the policy and you know seen that it was not the same thing. I would have avoided it's, that. So. It's awful when you're that confident as well, because you're like, boom. Oh. <laughs> it's just like, oh God, no. It, it was brutal. And um, yeah, so, and also I guess one thing I'll throw in there is uh, AMR has a version of the insurance policy where the fight where you actually print the person's face on the final thing. So when you open it up, it's the King of Hearts, but it's got David's face on the King of Hearts and he's the person you're doing it for. And I would say if anybody's interested in, in the insurance policy trick, that's the way I do it now. It is an absolute knockout uh, of a trick to do that way. You just gotta make sure you get a good picture of the right person. <laughs> Because uh, I have heard stories of somebody taking a picture, like, and the person was like way skinnier, and it like didn't like look, look like them, and it was like a whole a whole thing. But yeah, so yeah, that would be that would be my uh, that would be my story there, I guess. So I've been very fortunate not to have anything totally uh, disastrous happen. So that's good. Yeah, there's, there's nothing worse than those moments. I just love all the people who shared these moments over like it's so thankful for people to actually tell these stories because there's a lot of performers out there who we all get the imposter syndrome of like oh this stuff doesn't happen to the dot professionals i'm useless i should i shouldn't be doing this but it happens as uh i heard people saying like if if you haven't messed up a trick once you like if you do a trick a thousand times just that one time it's just gonna go to all hell it's definitely gonna happen 
Absolutely. And it's great because when you make mistakes, you start to, when you're developing other material, you go, well, what happens if something happens and you can troubleshoot that stuff? Yeah, I, I do have one other one. This is pro this was probably the moment that I was most embarrassed as a magician ever was um, a friend of mine, uh, my cousins, uh, was an extremely tough character and was like always like negging me about being a magician, like the hardest sort of audience member you could have. And there was one night where uh, she had come over, we're all standing around in the kitchen and she's really putting the heat on. And I had the double deception trick on me. I had actually just, I had worked on it. I'd been doing it for people. I was very comfortable and confident with it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for her. She's going to, it's going to freak her out. Like I'm really in the zone right now. I feel great about this. So I do the thing where I let her examine each of the coins individually because you can do that. And she's doing stuff like that. She's like putting it behind her back, like pretend, oh, like trying to make me guess which hand, just as brutal as it could be. So I go to do the thing where they pull the shirt out and you're going to pull the coin. You know, you put the two coins on top and you pull it through the shirt. And like, again, I am like, doing my absolute best audience management here. I'm like not rushing her. I'm like cool, calm and collected, like letting her have her fun and play these games. And I'm just, I just know in the bat that I am going to absolutely make her eyes pop out when this coin comes through her shirt. And so sure enough, I reach under and I go to pull the coin through. And so boom, the coin comes through, but the, the, co the two coins on top didn't do what they were, what they were made to do. And they just rolled over like this, exposing the terrible underside, the thing that you would never want anyone to see. And I just remember she was like, what is that? That was like the words that came out of her. She was like, what was that? And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. So I just kind of like, I didn't have anything else on me because I was just like hanging out casual. That was all I had with me. And uh, oh yeah, that was like a moment where if I could have hit a button and disappeared, uh, I absolutely would have uh, right then and there. So um, I don't know if I, I think that's probably like the one person I've never redeemed myself to. So that, that would make it, it I just, oh, it bothered me for days though afterwards, because I was so close, so close to having a victory. But uh, that's one of the reasons why in what I do now, I tend to not use a lot of gimmicked anything, uh, because I, I do find that using more uh, manual methods for things uh, is going to reduce the opportunity for, you know, device failure and stuff like that. So I do uh, try to, you know, keep it pretty organic when it comes to the props and stuff that I use. But oh yeah, I'll never, I will never forget that coin rolling over and just. Oh. <laughs> so not, bad. Was, was you don't want people to see that. Yeah, no, not at all. Well, I feel like we've only crashed, scratched the surface, but we've we've just got over the hours, and we'll definitely have to have you back on whenever you're free to go dive even more deeper into this. Let's do it. Yeah, you know, Steve, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is um, Harry Houdini visited Salem, Massachusetts, I, you know, and I would love to chat with you about the history of uh, Houdini's visit and uh, some some of the escapology stuff that, uh, you know, I, I had an interest in it for quite some time. I still do an escape, uh, you know, routine or two. But yeah, Houdini's trip to Salem is a huge, you know, thing. A lot of the tour guides and stuff talk about that. He did his famous prison escape, did sold out shows. So it would be great to come back and uh, chat with you about that and, you know, some other other fun topics there. So Yeah, definitely, man. That, that sounds amazing. When, when I was in Salem, actually, I, I, was, I was told there was a prison, uh, a jail cell that he had escaped from, but I didn't get a chance to see it at that time when I was there. Um, but yeah. Sounds yeah, awesome. yeah, it's a big day. law firm now, and uh, yeah, which is kind of ironic. Um, but yeah, I would love to tell you all about it. And um, a friend of mine who's a tour guide, he actually got the alleyway or it's like a little side street type thing. It's, you know, not, it's maybe like, 
you know, 30 feet or so, but he actually got it. It didn't have a name. And he, in the past, like six months, he was able to get it renamed Houdini way, uh, which is a really amazing and special thing. So yeah, uh, let's, yeah, I'll come back. We'll talk all about it. It'll be great. Yeah. Sounds great. And I hope everybody who's watching comes back as, as well. That, that'd be wonderful. What a, what a plug. Uh, so I just say, for anybody who's watching it, uh, if you can hit subscribe here, follow us all on social media. So at David Peace, at Steve, uh, at David Peace Magic, at Steve Spade Magic, at Steve Regality Ireland, and Anton, do you want to just give your social media as a plug? Yeah, sure thing. I'd love to. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at it's at Official Magician of Salem. Official Magician of Salem. That's me. I didn't know ahead of time when it asked me to put my name in the, the uh, StreamYard thing that I would display. But uh, yeah, so just look up uh, Official Magician of Salem. Uh, and that's where you can see all my work as the city's magician. And that's where I connect with a lot of people and magicians online. So I'd love to chat with you. Uh, so feel free to follow and shoot me a message. Absolutely. Definitely recommend that. So uh, well, well, thanks for the uh, Magic Estate right now. MSP deck. Yeah. Worker uh, wallet, just go buy them. Yeah, yeah, definitely oh, go get them. Highly recommend. Th thanks so much, Anton, for coming on, and uh, we'll be back again next week with another podcast. So make sure you follow everything. If you're listening to the audio thing, make sure you follow us there as well. Spotify, iTunes, any and all audio places. On thanks to the wonderful Anchor website, which is just the easiest thing in the world. So thanks so much for that, and thank you, Anton. And we'll talk to everybody again soon. See ya. Thanks, guys.